Charlotte, thank you so much for, for welcoming me into the uh, Agassiz Harrison uh, Museum. Let's, let's start with yourself. How did you get involved with museums in general? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm a world traveler, and everywhere that I've gone has been somewhere of a historical significance. So from the Great Wall of China, Forbidden City, Angkor Wat, the Egypt the Pyramids. Um, not too long ago, I was in India and Nepal, so I saw the Ganges, and so it was, it was a really good shift. I was working in um, mental health, addictions, uh, abuse with women and children, and this has been a wonderful career change. So um, my first museum was at the um, Boundary Museum and Interpretive Center in Grand Forks. Then I was at the Canadian Museum of Rail Travel, Carmack History Center, um, at directors, managers of all of these and curators. And then um, the Gulf of Georgia Cannery as well. And so Agassiz Harrison is my fourth museum. So, and I love it. Um, I feel very familiar with uh, coming into a CPR station after being in Cranbrook and uh, small, nice community country museum. Yeah. With regards to this collection, uh, tell us a little bit about the history about it. How, how did it develop over time? What were some of its focuses early on? How has it changed? Uh, walk us through that. Okay, so the um, original society that started the museum and Visitor Information Center was the um, Harrison Lake Historic Society. And that started in 1980 and it adapted uh, to the Agassiz Harrison Historical Society uh, about five years later. Um, they, in 1985, uh, uh, the station was uh, really derelict and CPR just wanted it gone, so they sold um, the station for one dollar to the society and that's sort of when it all really started to develop. So the collection, at first the society was just asking the communities if they would donate things to start the collection. And even today it really is a mismatch of, of things. Um, I don't think in the beginning they had uh, anything like a mandate or any parameters, they were just collecting. So um, we have everything from farming equipment that um, is out and about. I've only been here for about a year and a half now and it has been challenging to try to um, bring best practices um, <laughs> into, into the whole daily life of the museum. Um, so the collection is photographs uh, dating back to the late 1800s. We've got newspaper collections. We've got uh, large artifacts of farming equipment. Um, we have textiles, and um, uh, luckily there has been some accessioning of some of the things, but a lot have not been. So we're trying to divide, you know, what things have been accessioned, what things have not been, what are for educational purposes. So there's a backlog of things that need to be done. So over the last uh, 40 some odd years, um, there have only been three of us that have formal training. So um, the first one was Shannon um, Beats, I do believe her name is, and she's with the Museum Assistance Program now. She was here for a year. Um, then Lindsay Foreman was before me. She was here for about 24 months. 
and I've been here for a year and a half. So over about the last four or five years, having a professionally trained uh, curator has changed things. So we're working in the archives to bring things up to, to best practices. Um, we've gotten uh, a couple of really good grants, Museum Assistance Program for our textile room. I have before pictures that shocked me <laughs> when I first came. And now, um, with, with limited funding too, but we have a whole new shelving unit. Everything is put into, if we couldn't afford archival boxes, then they were taken out of the boxes they were in um, and put into brand new garment boxes. Everything's been accessioned and labeled and tissue papered. So the collection needs some attention. Looking at the collection, what would you say are some of its strengths in terms of the, the stories it tells about the community? Uh, like I said, we have, the, we have photographs that go back to the 1800s, and we have some of the original uh, settlers that were here, like we have photographs of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Agassiz and their family. And what is wonderful of looking at those is you see how society really has, has changed over time. We see also things like, um, this is a predominantly Dutch community. So how First Nations um, and different minorities were treated. You can see that in the photographs. You can also, you can also see that in how it's been accessioned and archived because um, a lot of times you will see things like Indian man but there's nothing related to the person's name or what band they're from or anything like that. So that's a bit of a challenge. But um, yeah, the, the, um, the accumulated knowledge of the area is really amazing. So all the photographs, the documents, we've got diaries that are just, just fascinating to page through. And um, there are things downstairs, like the textiles. Um, some of the, the textiles, like the women's dresses, uh, from the early 1900s. So um, there are some real jewels in the collection, that's for sure. What are some stories you're seeing percolate? What are, what are some ideas that, uh, that you're starting to see out of the material? Um, look, what Lindsay did before me is that uh, we have, I think, three virtual exhibits. And uh, one of the main ones is about agriculture in this area over time. And one of the most fascinating things is we have the experimental farm, which is now BC, uh, UBC Research Farm. Um, that was established in the late 1800s. And so to see the community really try to understand where they've come from. And, uh, and we've got uh, wonderful logging things too. So everybody comes into like the Fraser Valley and this area and don't realize that there were trees everywhere. And so what, most of it has been logged and what that industry is like. Um, up the Harrison River, how they, they you know, used to float the logs down and stuff like that. So, so we have, and, and hops, and another one of our virtual um, exhibits is on hops. And hops was the predominant um, crop here in the 1800s as well. So um, that, that's a wonderful jewel as well. So yeah, the virtual museums are definitely something that um, um, shows the community what we really, what our history really is. And it's accessible, and that's something that we want to do too, is we're planning 
hopefully in the fall, um, to digitize our collection and make it uh, uh, so the public has access to it. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge push, especially after the Linton fire and um, losing two of their museums. In your previous work and, and, and your work with the Agassiz Harrison Museum, how do you go about building exhibitions? Um, really, um, there's, there's kind of two ways that I do it. What is relevant to the community? So um, we have fall fairs coming up. Um, and for a small community, it's huge here. I, did, I didn't realize. Um, how, how big it was, but since I think the 1940s they've had the Corn King, they've had a corn festival and stuff like that, so it is extremely important to the community. So we will have an exhibit on agriculture and, um, you know, um, what our roots are and, and things like that. So relevance to the community always, always trying to have something different. So probably once every two or three months we do at least mini exhibits. Um, because before I got here, this museum was kind of um, known for, for seniors, and it is how we can bring families in and young people in. So Halloween, um, a few of us uh, got together and did things like, uh, we had played doctor masks and D&D uh, &D things and stuff like that. So really trying to diversify our audience base, relevant to community. And um, one of the things that we did for Indigenous People Day is one of our summer students who was working on his master's degree um, created the, the interpretive posters downstairs because that's right around the time that uh, Kamloops and the residential schools were announced. So trying to educate the community. Uh, a lot of people said they had no idea. They didn't even know what a residential school was. So yeah, relevance. Is, is huge. Yeah. What would you say are some uh, blind spots in the collection? You know, stories that you hear locally that are not reflected in the in the collecting practices that you'd like to develop on um, underrepresented groups within the community. What are what are some uh, you know, um, some of those stories that you're trying to look for uh, as you develop the collection? Um, we have uh, First Nations is is something that I've always tried to develop every every museum that I've went to, um, and we have baskets and a few things like that. But we have some regalia downstairs, but we're not even quite sure where they came from. So um, yeah, and I don't think there has ever been a budget here for acquisition. So implementing that too, so if there's something that we feel we need in the collection and it comes about that we can actually make an offer. Um, so it's, it's my, my minority community. So it's, uh, we had a um, large community of uh, Chinese uh, and Asian workers that were out in the hops fields. They are terribly underrepresented. Um, First Nations, um, women as well. So it is kind of uh, develop, developing awareness and being inclusive. I think we have to broaden what, what, we, what we do here. So it, having certain things brought into the collection, I think, would, uh, would definitely kind of um, round it up. Right now, we see that the majority of uh, even our photographs uh, are of men, white men. 
So what I'd like to do is, is um, represent a lot of the minorities a lot more than has been here before. And are, are you actively taking in material to the collection at the moment? Yes, um, and, and it's, it's kind of following our mandate. Uh, as, as every, I think, curator knows, people will show up and, you know, what is the relevance? What's the historical significance? Can you tell me the story? No, I just saw it at the thrift store and thought you guys would like it. So it, we are always bringing things in, but those questions have to be asked as well because we are busting at the seams right now. So, yeah. and, and if somebody brings something in, um, do we already have six of those? Yeah. Is there anything uh, recently that's come in that, uh, that surprised you or sort of filled in, a, filled in a piece of a story that you're trying to represent? The museum? Yeah, um, one of the things that I think we could really build on is this being a, a Canadian Pacific uh, railway station. So um, we have a very small, coming from the Canadian Museum of Rail Travel, where we had rooms for a full of CPR stuff, coming here, and it is a, you know, it is a, a station, but we have a very small collection. So we had a lady bring some of the CPR, her father's CPR stuff in, and I, I was just thrilled. So yeah, so building on that thing too, I think, is an opportunity to tell Canadian history. Mm. You're, you're talking about this, um, the initiative to digitize the material and the collection. What are some expectations from that, from that initiative? Um, the first one is, of course, uh, stewarding and uh, safeguarding. Um, uh, recently, with the high grass and stuff, we had a fire, so um, it was on the outside of the wall, and so we all, and then that was right around the time of Lenten. Luckily, the fire was just small, and it was just simply uh, somebody throwing a cigarette. So um, we have a fair bit on Pals Perfect, but from what I understand, they hadn't been doing that for probably two years before I got here. So there's a lot to do. And the expectation is to have people be able to scroll through our collection and see what fantastic things. If they then decide that they want to do research, that they can come, you know, we can pull the originals out, they can get digital copies. So it's really expanding what we do in the community and, and beyond. So I, I think it would be fantastic to have it public. Do you have researchers using the collection for research projects, uh, local history projects? Yeah, we there's a, a book down in the gift shop. It's a wonderful lady, Shirley Leon. She's First Nations, and they were doing a book for the ancestors, for the elders. So um, she contacted me. We got together here at the tables a couple of times. Um, we pulled photographs. She we sent them, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, Wonderful things like that. We are constantly having people call for research projects. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, uh, the archives have been pretty much closed for the last year, but we're looking forward to opening that up again as well. Uh, f five, ten years out, what are some aspirations for the, uh, for the Agassiz Harrison Museum? Uh, where, where do you want to see it uh, go to? It is really um, collection or the organization. Uh, both. Okay. Uh, first, the collection. Um, to get it in a state where it is safeguarded. 
and it's like I keep talking, you know, talking to some of my volunteers and seniors, and I keep talking about microclimates and stuff like that. We have to put them in, but why do we have to do that? Because we've got humidity in here, and we've got this, and we wrap it in buffer acid-free tissue paper. So it's really, I would love to have the collection, you know, um, the way it should be by the time I leave. Um, for the organization, I see it being kind of a community hub. We have a recreation and cultural center, but there's no culture there. So it's basically recreation. So I see us being kind of a cultural hub as well. We've had a couple of um, art showings here. Um, and then in the winter, in November, we are, if you go down the gift shop, you're going to see these beautiful um, steam train watercolored uh, art parts. The artist is coming in, and we're going to have an exhibition of her work with the big, beautiful watercolors. So, um, yeah, it's to be really relevant to the community and, and for them to realize that um, history's fun. <laughs> Um, it is not all for just seniors, so um, yeah, and I love it. We've had school classes with here at Christmas time because my son and his partner work in film and their set design and props and stuff like that. So they went to the warehouse and we had like a truckload of Christmas stuff and we did a Victorian Christmas. And so it was my son, his partner, my daughter and I, and we worked here for two days and everybody was just blown away. We, it was, the halls were dead. So that brings people in and they're always wondering, okay, what are they gonna do with the museum this time? And it's people are like, what are you doing for Halloween again? So, you know, it's, and um, being relevant, drawing them in, realizing that it's, it's family now. So um, for BC Day, Victoria Day, Canada Day, we had craft tables all downstairs. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, being, being relevant to our community. What are some uh, events or, or phenomena or people within the, the community that you have your eye on at the moment as, uh, as prospective things to you know, collect or stories to tell uh, into the future for the museum? Right. So um, I do believe quite a few years ago they started doing oral history interviews. Yeah. And then we have a gentleman who used to be on our board who is continuing to do that. So he has... I think over the last year he must have done 175 oral history interviews and we have access to that. Some of our volunteers um, and a couple of our directors, one in particular, Beth Kennedy, is a local historian. And uh, so she has been interviewed as well about her story and how she was raised here. Another one, Buck McKay, is part of our of speaker series, um, wellspring of information. and. Uh, yeah, it's though those people, the the people that have been here and have seen the changes, and um, you know what did life look like, you know, 60, 80 years ago. So, yeah, it's those um, for things like celebrations. It's the fall fair, the corn festival, the corn king. So we have documents and uh, you know um, brochures and calendars all with the fall fair and stuff like that so those are big and Sasquatch Days in Harrison is big as well so First Nations come out to that it's predominantly Stahalis who puts that on so to collect information on that too and um, 
And then we started relevant collecting for COVID-19 as well. So we've got a box with you know our signs, masks, all those different things, clippings and stuff like that. So and photographs of some of the volunteers with masks. So one of the things that we really noticed when COVID first happened is to see the pictures of the 1918 pandemic and how how that relates to us now. Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, you're very well. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>